Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It's Tuesday, January the 19th. I'm Tom Tilley, joined by Annika Smethurst. And today in our briefing, we're going to be talking about Bitcoin. There's one guy who's got two more guesses left before his account is locked forever. <laughs> and he's got something like $200 million worth of Bitcoin in that account. Don't forget your password. Uh, yes, Bitcoin has actually tripled in value in the last three months. So is it time to buy some or is it pretty much like playing the pokies? Uh, that's our briefing in just a moment. First, let's hear the big stories of the day. The Australian Open drama is continuing with the men reportedly demanding their games be reduced to just three sets. Yeah, this comes after the Victorian Premier Daniel Andrews told the stars they won't be getting any special treatment in hotel quarantine. Well, the rules apply to them as they apply to everybody else and they are all briefed on that before they came and that was a condition on which they came. There's no special treatment here. People are being treated because the virus doesn't, doesn't treat you specially, so neither do we. A fifth of the Grand Slam hopefuls are now in hard lockdown unable to train because of COVID cases on three chartered flights. And that's prompted complaints on social media, including from Bernard Tomic's girlfriend, Vanessa Sierra. This is the worst part of quarantine. I don't wash my own hair. I've never washed my own hair. It's just not something that I do. I normally have hairdressers that do it twice a week for me. So this is the situation that we're dealing with. (laughs) What is going on? Look, a lot of people thought that was a parody. I'm not sure, though. She seemed pretty upset about it, she didn't she? She seemed sweet. She seemed sweet. <laughs> Retired Aussie player Sam Groth admits it isn't ideal, but he's told Nine the players need to get some perspective. Tennis Australia has covered the cost of them flying out here on charter flights. They've covered the cost of this quarantine. There's $100,000 for those singles players in the first round. Yes, it might not be the ideal situation for them, but at the same time, they're in quite a, a privileged situation. Yeah, and Novak Djokovic sent Tennis Australia a list of demands basically asking that the players be moved to private houses with tennis courts. And um, Nick Kyrgios chimed in, Annika. (laughs) Called him a tool. Look, I don't know how many houses are sitting around empty with tennis courts. And let's not forget, there are thousands of Aussies stuck overseas trying to get home who would kill to be in one of these hotels. So I think a little less chirping from some of the tennis players would be appreciated. (laughs) But, yeah, there's, there's so many inconsistencies, though. Like Matt Damon has just come into Byron Bay. He's allowed to, uh, you know, be in a private home relaxing with his family. And people say, oh, these tennis players shouldn't get special treatment. These are the the most incredible athletes in the world. I don't think you should get special treatment. Even the Prime Minister had to go into lockdown. He came back from Japan. In the lodge, that is true. But I just think, I don't know, where are we going to put them? They want to come out here and play. It's got to be equal. I'm kind of on on board with Dan Andrews there. It doesn't discriminate. The real thing here is that if Melbourne ended up Going back into hard lockdown again just for a sports tournament, people would be pissed. Uh, And Tropical Cyclone is bearing down on far north Queensland, putting hundreds of thousands of residents on high alert. Overnight, Cyclone Kimmy has been downgraded to a Category 1. Look, it could still bring gale force winds reaching more than 120 k's an hour, flash flooding and also abnormally high tides. But the Bureau says it won't be severe as first feared. Yeah, the warning zone stretches from Innisfail to Eyre with a watch zone extending to Bowen. Townsville Mayor Jenny Hill says they're preparing for the worst just in case. Which is we've activated personnel and we've opened our local disaster coordination centre and we've begun planning just in case. An update on a story we brought you yesterday with the deaths in Norway. Health authorities there have said there is no direct link between the Pfizer vaccine and the deaths of more than 30 elderly people. 
Yeah, in a phone update, they said that fewer than one in 1,000 elderly patients died. All of them were seriously ill. However, they have updated their advice urging doctors to reconsider giving the vaccine to terminally ill patients. The rollout of that vaccine is set to begin in Australia next month. And a professor advising the federal government expects we will push ahead with plans to vaccinate the elderly despite those developments. Yeah, and despite the whole rollout in general, Professor Brendan Murphy, who's now the boss of the health department, says that he thinks our international border restrictions will last for most of this year still because we don't know how effective the vaccine will be in preventing the transmission of the virus. So even with the vaccine, you might still get COVID, you just won't be as sick. And basically, Brendan Murphy's saying, we're going to have to wait and see how much impact this rollout has. There's been a scare at Joe Biden's inauguration rehearsal, which went into lockdown overnight. Everyone's running from the Capitol grounds. Yeah, police say they acted out of an abundance of caution after witnesses reported smoke nearby. Um, But in the end, it turned out to be a small blaze at a nearby homeless camp. Security has been significantly tightened following that deadly pro-Trump insurrection at the Capitol, which claimed five lives two weeks ago. The main event will happen on Thursday morning, though, our time. The other news that you might hear from the US today is Donald Trump is uh, expected to issue around 100 pardons and commutations today. So it'll be really interesting to see who's on that list, how many of them are directly connected to him. All right, that's it for the news headlines. Let's get into Bitcoin in just a moment. Did you manage to get through the summer break without someone bringing up Bitcoin? I did until Tom brought it up. (laughs) That's not quite true. Look, there's been lots of conversations and hype about Bitcoin, the cryptocurrency that's really been surging in recent months. Yeah, people start talking about it when the price is going up and that's what's been happening. It's tripled in the last three months. Um, The price is around $45,000 at the moment, and there are some predictions it could go up to $100,000, which is getting people very excited. There are now even Bitcoin billboard ads around Australia, with some of the big crypto trading platforms trying to convince people to invest in this new digital currency. Now, Tom, have you been lured into this? Did you do it? Um, Are you all in? (laughs) I've gotten very close. But the funny thing is, the last time I got really close was 2017, when it was surging last time. And right before I put my money in, the price crashed and it went down from 25000 at the time to about almost down to 4000 So mm. I was really glad that I didn't. But then these conversations start up again once the currency starts surging. So I'm about to do it. Oh, you don't, want, you don't want that to happen again, though. Look, could that be about to happen? Could it burst? It's a little bit like putting money into the pokies, I guess, or or betting on horses. Um, You know, it's called a currency, but is it? It's almost more of a commodity. But look, we're going to find out a little bit more about this. It's something that, as you say, people are hearing more about in their conversations, but what actually is it? So we've got Scott Phillips, who's the Chief Investment Officer at Motley Fool with us. Scott, thanks for joining us. Have you bought into Bitcoin? I actually have a very long time ago, I put $100 in Bitcoin just to follow the trade along, just so when we had Queen will ask us questions like today, uh, I'd have some <laughs> sense of it. And often skin in the game really does help. I should say I've made a little bit of money on that, but uh, it was never an investment, just just pure interest and a way to kind of get involved and get on the inside of the Bitcoin story. Okay. What do you mean by a little bit of money? You put 100 in, how much is it worth now? 
Oh, I think it's, I want to say about six hundred bucks actually, which is <laughs> I've done all right. Um, completely unexpectedly, by the way, I had no I had no expectations of what that would do. Uh, it could have been worth ten or six hundred by now for for what it was worth. But yeah, it's been a, been a very very good investment percentage wise at least. Let's go back a step. Tom's obviously right on the verge of deciding to plunge on into Bitcoin. I'm a little bit different. <laughs> I know roughly what it is. It's some sort of cryptocurrency. But can you t- explain to our listeners? What actually is Bitcoin and how does it work? The whole idea is it's online only. It's what they call a distributed ledger. Your listeners will have heard of the concept of blockchain as well. The whole idea here is that the record uh, of who owns what is kept securely, not in a single system, not in two or three systems, but literally right across the internet. So effectively, everybody or most people who are mining Bitcoins are also updating the ledger or the database of who owns what. And that's what makes it so useful. Now, we should say it's anonymous. So while I say who owns what, it's an anonymous series of letters and numbers that make up what they call a Bitcoin. Bitcoin wallet. And the idea basically is that you know, if I have that code, if I have that key, no one can take it from me and everyone knows what I own. So if I transact with it, in theory, it's completely secure. And as I said, that, that record is replicated right across the internet, literally worldwide. It's still just hard to get your head around. I mean, we, we hear that it's like a digital ledger that records mm. data transactions and then somehow that's turned into a currency. Can you break that down even more for us? Essentially, if you accept the premise that – so think about internet banking, right? When you log on, your bank controls your your bank records, your your transaction records, and your bank balances. You trust that when you log on to whichever bank you use in the morning, uh, the result will be there. That will be a fair record of the money you owe and own. Uh, and so that's that's the idea of it. The idea of, of a distributed ledger, as I said, or that kind of blockchain idea is that there's many, many versions of that. So the chances of it being taken away from you, hacked, stolen, disrupted, corrupted, uh, are really, really small. Now, once you, once you accept that, if you, if you accept that, then Bitcoin is effectively like any other currency. It's obviously different in, in a whole lot of ways. But if I want to buy something from you and you want to buy something from me, we can settle in Australian dollars. I mean, we could settle in goats or pesos if we wanted to. Um, but effectively, the idea of Bitcoin is once I press a button, it goes from my account straight to your account in a completely secure way. You know you're going to get the money from me and vice versa. So in, in theory, it's supposed to be a more secure currency. And of course, depending on your point of view and your kind of worldview, there's other things like governments can't control and don't control Bitcoin. They can't track it. Uh, inflation, interest rates don't impact it. So again, it, it, gets, it gets very esoteric very quickly. But the idea of those who love the idea of Bitcoin is that it's a very secure, very basic, very simple, and in that sense, uncorruptible, I suppose, currency that can be used by everybody across the world. Yeah. And that sort of philosophical side of it is is quite interesting. I know one of the most famous fans of Bitcoin is Jack Dorsey, who's the founder mm-hmm. of Twitter. And you know, people talk about it as an alternative store of value to gold or this truly decentralized international currency that can't be controlled by an individual government. Is it that sort of, I don't want to say conspiratorial kind of thinking, but a very different worldview that drives this intense excitement about this currency? Look, it is to some degree, and this is this is. I mean, it's a really broad church, right? It's one of those strange things that it's got acceptance from a lot of people for a lot of different reasons. Everything from, uh, as you say, that there is genuinely the, if not conspiracy theorists, at least the the people who are deeply concerned about the possibilities of what governments may or may not do. So things like, for example, the money printing or quantitative easing we've talked about a lot over the last decade. 
Bitcoin can't doesn't have that component. So while governments are creating inflation, for example, that makes our currency less by definition, that's what inflation is, um, that can't happen with Bitcoin, at least not in its current guise. And so there are a whole lot of reasons why if people don't want to be tracked by their government, for example, the Bitcoin wallets are anonymous, you can take them across borders. People, of course, famously, this, this originally came to prominence years and years ago when it was being used to buy drugs and weapons on the dark web. And so, you know, it, it has got a pretty dark underbelly as, a, as an idea, as a currency. There's also, though, just the pure theorists who simply say, for a whole lot of reasons, they believe Bitcoin is a better option. And as you mentioned, the store of value thing, if you've got, you know, you can't easily carry gold around your back pocket. I suppose you can if it's small, but hmm. you can't easily transport gold. It can be taken off you. It can be searched, you know, um, Bitcoin, again, exists only online, which is a is a risk, but it's also a huge benefit because you could effectively turn your entire you know, life's worth into a number of Bitcoins and then move anywhere in the world, send them anywhere in the world effectively without being tracked meaningfully by any government and having them inflate away, you know, take your money, any of that kind of stuff. And so there really is a very, very broad church of everything from technological geeks right through to conspirators and, and lots in between. People obviously start talking about Bitcoin a lot more when the price is going up and that's been happening What's behind that? What do we know about why it's been going up and is it going to last? Look, here's the thing. At the moment, Bitcoin purchases are only speculating because that's all you can do at this point of any new assets existence. And I don't mean that again pejoratively, but if you think about, you know, why is it going up? It's going up largely because people expect it to be worth more in future. So they're speculating by buying it now. And by buying it, now they're creating that very price pressure they're trying to hope to benefit from. The other thing I think is there's a very small number of them. There's only 21 million Bitcoins available worldwide. And so with a very limited supply, you don't need much of a rush, much of a speculation, and then it becomes self-fulfilling. We're talking about it now, and I'm sure people are buying it yesterday, today, and tomorrow because they hope it's going to keep going up. Yeah, so as you say, it's a huge amount of speculation. But in terms of those those real-world changes about the way it's being used to transact, but also... I guess the the changing position of our big financial institutions in the way they see this as an investment or a currency, how much has changed in the real world in the last three months as the price has been going up, mostly based on speculation? Look, I want to say everything and nothing. So when you start to see some of the likes, and PayPal's probably the biggest one in the space that have started accepting Bitcoin as a as a reasonable payment method. Now that's a big deal, isn't it? By the way, it PayPal is. accepting and, and this it. is yeah. They, look, they're not a major bank. They're not JP Morgan. They're not Commonwealth Bank. They're not HSBC or Lloyd's. So they're not they're not quite that top tier. But yes, absolutely. When PayPal is one of those new economy businesses, been around for, for feels like forever now, but reasonably new new economy business is accepting Bitcoin. They're effectively giving it that legitimacy legitimacy that plenty of people are saying, and with some justification, when it becomes mainstream, then more people will want it, will buy it, will own it. There's still a lot of economists that predict that cryptocurrency will be the biggest bubble in history and it's destined (laughs) to crash. And of course, there was that crash after the 2017 spike. So for people that did invest back in 2008, if you put some cash Mm. in then, where would you be now after these sort of rises and drops? Oh, if, you, if you've been in if you've been in long enough, you're an absolute squillionaire. The early early purchases <laughs> of Bitcoin we've seen. You know when the price is getting high, as you mentioned earlier, and it could be because earlier in uh, late last week, I should say, were those stories resurfacing about the people who lost their lost their Bitcoin. There's one guy who's got two more guesses left before his account is locked forever, and he's got something like two hundred million dollars <laughs> worth of Bitcoin in that account. Wow. There's one guy who oh wants to God. offer a ninety one million dollar reward to dig <laughs> up some tip somewhere to, to try and get to his computer that might have his Bitcoin wallet on it. And by the way, those are the risks. I don't think Bitcoin is risk. Free. They've been an absolute squillion. Should I buy it or not, Scott? 
<laughs> I look, I mean, I put my hundred bucks in, I made some money. So who am I to say no? There, look, I'm an investment advisor. If you ask me for the investment merits of this, the only reasonable policy or, or, or kind of thesis I come up with is it may well attract more attention. It might well become more popular. More people might buy it. But you heard the number of mites I threw in there. Um, <laughs> we just said we can't know. There, there was no, you know, I can look at a, a share price or a house or a piece of artwork and I can approximate an investment case for those things. I can kind of do the same for Bitcoin, but with zero ability to put any probability on this. This is brand, brand, brand new. So I can't recommend it as an investment. But, you know, if you want to go and throw your, you know, your pokey money or your, <laughs> your, your tab money at, at Bitcoin instead, I, I think that's not unreasonable. Okay, yeah. And to be honest, like the, the thing that's actually stopped me from just having a little punt is the actual technicality of investing in it, which seems kind of a bit scary and complicated. I don't quite get it. Can you just quickly explain before we go how you actually go about buying it and how complex that is? Yeah, right. So look, it can be as complex or as easy as you want to make it. The good thing is, so I bought mine, it's become a whole lot easier. So um, the purely technical way to do it is you you, you have a Bitcoin wallet. It's basically just a, a series of numbers and letters, uh, and you have a, a Bitcoin key. Uh, think about it as, a, as a, a really long pin. And with those two things, you can access your Bitcoin wallet and use it to transact. So that, that's the really kind of arcane version, if you like. That's the that's that's the techies version. These days, there's a whole lot of apps and brokers that have uh, sprung up. You can start to use those, then they'll make the transaction on your behalf. So it's getting much, much easier. What you have to be careful of is if you do it yourself, like the guy who's uh, got two guesses left for $200 million, if you lose your key, if you're doing it yourself, that can be really, really dangerous. There's also been other examples in, there was a Japanese broker, or they don't call them brokers, but for our purpose, called it a broker, who um, who actually got hacked and, and a whole lot of people lost all their Bitcoin because they'd signed them over to this broker to use on their behalf. So like everything, there are no free lunches. If you're going to do it, please use a reputable app or broker. Um, again, it's a really short time industry, so it's hard to know who's genuinely long-term mm. reputable. But please do the right thing. You know, don't don't take the, the cheapest option. Uh, go and find someone who you've got some good reviews on. Do, do the search online, the usual stuff. Find a good broker. Don't try and do it yourself is my, is my recommendation uh, because you want to make sure you've got the ability to recover your password or to access your account if, if the worst was to happen. So that was Scott Phillips from The Motley Fool. Annika, are you going in? No, but it sounds like you might be, Tom. I think he piqued oh. your interest there. <laughs> the world's changed, especially in the digital space, in ways that we could never have imagined. And there's been so much growth in the way we transact online in, in so many areas. And you've seen things like Afterpay, this this business, you know, which is basically... Mm. Lay-by. <laughs> yeah, lay-by. But they're cannibalising the credit card market and the valuations have, have, have been incredible. I've actually invested in that and made a lot of money. So it's like... Yeah, put a bit in and see what happens, a bit like Scott did. But then I just get to the point of like getting a crypto wallet and all this stuff. And I was like, you know what? Can't be bothered. (laughs) Too hard. Too hard basket. All right. That's it for the briefing today. Tomorrow, as the Australian Open gets quite messy with its COVID cases and the lockdown of players, we'll ask, is it worth the risk? A Podcast One production.